Picture this. You're driving on the open road, taking in the beautiful views this country offers. Then out of nowhere, you hear a noise and your car breaks down. While still frustrating, you feel protected because you have a plan through CarShield. CarShield has helped millions of drivers from having to pay back-breaking car repair costs. All you have to do is call before a breakdown. Plans can pay for expensive repairs on your out-of-warranty car, truck, or SUV. All for CarShield's low monthly rate that never goes up as long as you cover your car. With a plan through CarShield, you get protection on over 5,000 major parts and systems with just a visit to carshield.com Shapiro. I'm talking big money items like your transmission, engine, electronics, and so much more. CarShield is here to keep you moving forward and make car breakdowns and the repairs that follow just a tiny bump in the road. Go to carshield.com Shapiro. Protect yourself from the unprecedented rise in costs for parts and repairs. Visit now to save 20%. CarShield.com slash Shapiro. That's CarShield.com slash Shapiro. Today on the Matt Wall Show, leftists scream out in abject terror as Elon Musk completes his purchase of Twitter. We will revel in their despair today. Also, as my children's book, Johnny the Walrus, is finally released, we'll take a look at the horrifying children's book that is currently the bestseller in the category. It's written by the American Academy of Pediatrics. And if you've been paying attention, you know that that's a very bad sign. Plus, a boy physically assaults a girl at a high school in Atlanta, but the students are taking the boy's side because the girl used a naughty word, apparently. And in our daily cancellation, Rolling Stone has a glowing profile of furries who are sexually attracted to cartoon animals. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Home values are now up 19%. These gains have become an important financial tool for homeowners because you're able to access the equity as cash at incredibly low interest rates. This makes it easier to pay off high interest debt, fund home renovations, or do whatever you need because it's your money. Now, if this sounds like something you're interested in, it's worth a call to American Financing to learn more because they're going to provide a free mortgage review so you can understand your options before moving forward. There's no pressure. There's no upfront or hidden fees. Um, That's not what they do at American Financing. Instead, They take the time to get to know you so they can find the perfect loan to achieve your goals. It could mean savings of up to $12,000 a year, plus tens of thousands long-term. And you're gonna get all of that uh, when you call 866-569-4711. You gotta take advantage of this deal right now and call 866-569-4711. Or if you don't wanna call, you can always visit AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334 nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So yesterday, the sun went dark. The earth shook and trembled. Fire raged across the land, consuming all in its wake. The screams of the forsaken masses could be heard rising up with the smoke. Horror of horrors. The ultimate nightmare had come to pass. Elon Musk taking control of Twitter. The Twitter corporate board had, for so many years before this, hugged Twitter's users tightly against its bosom, protecting them and rocking them softly to sleep each night. But that was all over uh, yesterday. It abandoned them, abandoned us all to the cold in the night where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth and lots of memes also, presumably. Twitter has officially accepted Elon Musk's offer to buy the company for $43 billion. Now, tragically, the company will be run by a billionaire, as opposed to before when it was run by different billionaires. Elizabeth Warren made a good point when she uh, tweeted yesterday, this deal is dangerous for our democracy. Billionaires like Elon Musk play by a different set of rules than everybody else, accumulating power for their own gain. We need a wealth tax and strong rules to hold big tech accountable. 
yes, it is dangerous to have a billionaire in charge of a social media platform. That's why those of us who are so upset by this turn of events and who absolutely refuse to use a site that is owned by a billionaire now must deactivate our accounts and give all of our business to Facebook and Instagram and TikTok instead. You know, the ones that aren't run by billionaires. But I think the real question that we all face now is, how do we explain this to our children? You know, I've already had the difficult conversation last night as I was weeping in the living room, which is my usual nightly routine, of course. My three-year-old pangender child, Moonbeam, came in and, and asked, Matt, with Elon Musk taking over Twitter, will hate speech be normalized? Is our democracy in grave peril? Is our country on the verge of destruction? Is life even worth living anymore? And I looked back at them and answered, yes, 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 and no. And then we simply held each other and sobbed uncontrollably. It was sad yet beautiful. A beautiful moment with me and Moonshine, or whatever my fake kid's name is in this joke. To be honest, originally I'd planned to keep the sarcasm going for the entire opening monologue. But then I realized that that would deprive me of the opportunity to gloat more openly and blatantly, uh, which is what I really want to do. So I'll switch gears here, and instead I'll let um, the libs speak for themselves. Fortunately, uh, Nazi propagandist Libs of TikTok has compiled a few authentic lib reactions to the news from TikTok. And, um, well, here's how they're taking it. You know, they really make some good points, actually. It, it would possibly be slightly easier to understand if we listen to them one at a time, though. So uh, let's do that instead. Well, it looks like Twitter's gone. They accepted the money. And Elon Stalin is taking over. So f*** you, Twitter, and goodbye forever, you insane Q-like forum. Or soon-to-be insane-like Q-like forum. Peace out! Bye! <laughs> Elon Musk, this is directly to you. Enjoy Twitter. I just deactivated mine. I will not be reactivating it. Enjoy. I deactivated my account and deleted the app. That's what I think of it. Elon Musk. Today, Twitter has announced that they've been bought by Elon Musk, or however you say his name. Um, I'm not interested in staying on Twitter anymore because of this. And I think there's a lot of people that are about to leave. So I just wanted to let everyone know that you can find me here. I'm going to also share this on Twitter before I deactivate my account so that anyone who wants to follow me can find me here as well. Hey, I did a thing today. I deactivated my Twitter account. You can too. On second thought, that wasn't much more coherent, I suppose. Though I'm sure Elon Musk is devastated by the incisive, searing wit of these TikTok libs. I'm not sure how he'll ever recover from, you know, things like Elon, Stalin. Uh, indeed, I, I bet he's now rethinking the whole thing. Now that we've learned that um, at Tammy Clove, at Queenie Bella, and at, at Snurfy Boo are leaving the site. That was one of the users there on TikTok, Snurfy Boo. Look, a Twitter without Snurfy Boo is just not the same. On the plus side, however, race hustler Sean King actually did deactivate his account 
nearly as soon as the news was announced. And that alone is worth $43 billion. Many other prominent leftists uh, vowed to leave the platform, though most of them appear to still be on the platform as of this morning. I mean, uh, some of the, a lot of these people have been tweeting over and over and over again about how they're not going to use the platform anymore. And yet they're still using it to talk about how they're not going to use it. Perhaps their accounts merely identify as deactivated. I don't know. Another common complaint has been that Elon Musk is uh, spending his money on buying Twitter when he could be using it to end world hunger, you know, because world hunger is all his fault. John Fugelsang tweeted, for $44 billion, a guy could have gone down in history for ending world hunger. History will record that our mega billionaires had other priorities. Now, funny, I don't remember those kinds of criticisms when Jeff Bezos used his money to buy the Washington Post. But the criticisms would have been stupid in that case also, because in fact, um, even the richest men in the world don't have enough money to end world hunger. There is no amount of money that could wipe out world hunger. If I had $10 trillion to dedicate to wiping out world hunger, there would still be world hunger even after the $10 trillion is spent or rather wasted. Because a lot of the hunger in the world is due not to a simple lack of resources, but to corrupt and incompetent governments and regimes. Throwing money at that problem isn't going to solve it. In fact, many times it could make it a lot worse, as we have seen time and time and time again. Meanwhile, groups like Human Rights Watch and the ACLU are raising different concerns. They're issuing dire warnings about the epidemic of hate speech that may now be coming for us uh, and coming to Twitter because of Elon Musk. These worries were echoed all over cable news, especially by Brian Stelter. Listen to this. If you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. Some Twitter users might love the idea that there's going to be absolutely no moderation and no rules at all. Others might not want to be anywhere near that. Am I, am I crazy, Matt? No, no, you're right. And what, what happens to the advertising? I mean, if there's no moderation or little moderation, do the right. advertisers stay away? What does that do to the, yeah. the business prospects for Twitter itself? There's just something perfect about this because I can totally imagine Brian Stelter standing outside of a party and saying, excuse me, I need to know the ground rules for this party before I come in. Do you have the rules posted anywhere? I want to make sure everyone is following the rules. This isn't one of those parties without rules, is it? And then everybody inside the party will just look at him and say, "Uh, you weren't invited, Brian. What are you doing here? Stop hiding in the bushes, you weirdo. Go home. Of course, uh, minor detail here. Stelter is lying, obviously. Musk has never said that there will be no moderation at all. I mean, that's that's the thing about all this this panicking. He's going to get rid of the rules. He actually never said he was going to do that. But it is fascinating to see the evolution. The left has gone from the counterculture to the hall monitors pushing up their glasses and, you know, prattling on about the rules. The left, you know, they're now the the kid in your class who reminds the teacher to give out the homework assignment. They're they're that kid. Over on MSNBC, they're um, raising concerns that sound somehow oddly familiar. Listen. You own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech 
philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Mm. Yes, wouldn't it be terrible if that happened? I mean, just imagine. Allow yourself to entertain this crazy hypothetical where big tech companies target people based on their politics and censor information in order to influence the outcome of an election. Just imagine that. Of course, you don't have to imagine it. You already lived through it. Conservatives have experienced exactly that sort of thing for years. And despite what this guy at MSNBC might say, the fact is that Elon Musk has made no indication that he's going to put the shoe on the other foot and start censoring and stifling leftist speech in that way. As satisfying as that might be from a vengeance perspective. But he's not going to do that. And they know he's not going to do that. Musk has shown no inclinations in that direction. What they're worried about is exactly what Brian Stelter said and what the ACLU and various pseudo-human rights groups are now fretting about. They're panicking not over the possibility that speech will be stifled, but over the threat that it will no longer be stifled. For years, they insisted that conservative speech was not being censored or suppressed. Now they're running around like their hair is on fire. Uh, Well, Brian Stelter isn't running around like his hair is on fire, but you you know what I'm saying. Uh, because conservative speech will no longer be censored and suppressed. So, you know, how quickly we went from that isn't happening to that is happening and actually it's good and it has to keep happening. We've seen this kind of transition countless times. And now we're seeing it finally with the issue of free speech, where we went from free speech isn't under attack, you conspiracy theorists, to actually free speech is bad and should be under attack. Another viral leftist reaction to the Musk news uh, makes this point, I think, very clear. Listen to this. Are you concerned about the rise of American fascism? Well, today you can be more concerned. Uh, It's almost certain that with this move, Trump is going to come back to social media. I mean, this has so many horrific implications. I'm not even sure where to start, to be completely honest with you. There is a problem with this idea of free speech, and that is, where is the limit? Free speech has the ability to incite some really horrific and hateful things. Like, for instance, an insurrection. If this owns Twitter, the world is going to be a much worse place. And it's not just him. This is a problem across social media. But certainly this isn't making the problem better. Anyway, I imagine there's going to be a mass exodus from Twitter. In fact, Newsweek even posted how to delete your Twitter account an hour ago. I didn't have a Twitter account ever until I joined this app to go and look at news and stuff. So it's not that bad, you know, not having one. I just have a very strong feeling that the extremism on the right is going to get more significant after this. Yes, we have to censor speech in order to avoid fascism. See how that works. Where are the limits to free speech, he asks. What are the limits? And he provides the answer. They all provide the answer. All opinions that differ from his own are beyond the limits, or ought to be. So they've dropped the act, almost. At least for now, they've dropped it. This um, internet, the internet, is a, is a party with rules, they say. And the rules are that one side doesn't get to speak. Or those were the rules. Now the left, at least on one platform, will have to figure out how to engage with opposing ideas, or at a minimum tolerate them. And if they can't do that, and they certainly can't do that, then they'll just have to make do with the platforms that still censor their opponents and welcome their speech um, and welcome only their speech. So in other words, every other platform on the internet, pretty much, is what they'll have to make do with. Somehow I think they'll survive. Now let's get to our five headlines.
You know, it's always a great idea to keep uh, learning new skills. And the copy is telling me to riff about skills I'd like to learn. But really, that's hard for me to do because I have zero skills at all. So really, any sk- I'd like to learn any skill whatsoever. And uh, if you're in that boat, or if, even if you have some skills, but you want to learn a few more, if you're always learning, it, it keeps you sharp like ZipRecruiter. Their AI is always learning. So if you're hiring, their AI gets better and faster at finding the right candidates for all of your roles. And right now, you could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. ZipRecruiter uses its powerful technology to find and match the right candidates with your job. Then it proactively presents these candidates to you. You can easily review these recommended candidates and invite your top choices to apply for your job. So this is the proactive thing that you're doing. You're not just throwing the it out there into the ether and hoping that somebody finds it. Um, and this is why ZipRecruiter is the number one rated hiring site in the U.S. based on G2 ratings. And now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com Walsh. That's ZipRecruiter.com W-A-L-S-H. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. I can tell you, um, if, if I'm Elon Musk, here's my agenda coming in the door. First of all, I'm going to investigate all of the censorship and the dishonest practices in the past and reveal all of it. Um, because it's, it's, it's good to, to come in and clean up shop, but we also need to know what happened before. And that's the, that's one of the best things about Elon Musk taking over is that he's going to have access to all that information. Now we're going to know for sure. The things that we already know happened, now we're going to have the, the proof of it. We're going to see it all in, uh, in, in writing probably. And, uh, you know, there need to be, there need to be reparations even. There should be reparation programs for conservatives on Twitter to make up for what we experience. Then I'm going to, um, if, I'm, if I'm Elon Musk, I would just fire almost everybody and hire all new people because you're going to need to do that. And, um, you know, it's quite, quite revealing actually that the reports are now that, that Twitter, after they, after they announced the sale of Twitter, they've shut down um, a lot of the functionality behind the scenes so that changes can't be made because they're worried about their own employees sabotaging the platform. So that tells you that tells you what they know about their employees. So if you're Elon Musk coming in, then you got to just basically fire everybody um, and then make the algorithms public, which he's already said he would do, make them totally transparent. And then also, if I'm Elon Musk, I'm going to hire the host of the Matt Walsh Show and the Daily Wire as the new chief diversity officer. That's probably, that's probably in, in fact, priority number one. So I'm still waiting to get the call from Elon Musk. All right, let's start with this. You know, it's a tough week for um, our dear friends on the left for reasons we've just reviewed. And to add insult to injury, um, my best-selling LGBT children's book is finally being released. You know, we announced the book a few months ago. They sold out in less than a day. We had to print a whole new batch. And um, those new books are shipping out today. And the good news is also that, that you can buy the book today and you won't have to wait months for it to come, if you can believe it or not. You can just buy it and it'll come like the next day or two days from now. Um, we have copies available for purchase, a lot of copies. And this, this all presents a wonderful opportunity for us uh, because Johnny the Walrus, my book about a young boy who identifies as a walrus, has already been, as you may have heard, a best-selling children's book, best-selling LGBT book, best-selling book overall. But let us just imagine together, let us picture the possibility that we get it charting as a bestseller again this week amid everything else that's happening. I think we can do that together, and we must. Especially when you consider what is currently, what, what, current, what books are currently charting as bestsellers on Amazon. 
Um, one of the top books, and in fact, this was the number one children's book overall on Amazon yesterday. Now I think it's dropped down slightly. It's in the top five. But this is a book that was just released. It's called Uology, A Puberty Guide for Everybody. Now, this book is, if you're wondering who published it, this is a book published by the American Academy of Pediatrics. All right? So it's not even just one wacky left-wing writer. This is the American Academy of Pediatrics, and they published this book on, uh, on puberty. And this is how bad it's gotten, that you already know what's, what's in this book. You already know that it's bad because the American Academy of Pediatrics is behind it, and the subject is puberty. So just to give you an idea, um, there's a chapter in this book, one of the best-selling children's books on Amazon, which is being marketed to kids 9 through 12. And there's a chapter called, When Puberty Doesn't Feel Right. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this chapter to you, because this is a, this is a book that, um, that nine-year-olds are going to be reading. And I guarantee you, given the fact that this, is, that this is published by the American Academy of Pediatrics, it's going to be in schools. And if anybody complains about it, the schools are going to say, what, do you have a problem with science and medicine? It's the American Academy of Pediatrics. It's as mainstream as you can possibly get. Well, here's what it says. Um, Chapter 12. When puberty doesn't feel right. It says, uh, and then it kind of starts with a little story about a girl named Kimmy. Quinn, Jasmine, Nancy, and I are getting ready for bed, stepping around the sleeping bags that form a circle on Nancy's bedroom floor. I take my pajamas to the corner and turn my back to the others as I change. Quinn is changing at the same time and isn't paying attention, and Jasmine is looking for something in her bag. But then Nancy looks over at me right as I'm changing my shirt. I try to cover my chest, and Nancy looks away quickly. But I know she saw my flat chest. Nancy says, I still have a super flat chest, too. I can't wait to finally start puberty. I hate blooming so much later than everybody else. I finish putting on my pajamas, and then I take a deep breath. My body will never grow breasts on its own because I'm trans, I say, looking at Nancy until she meets my eyes. But it's something that I have options for and that I talk with my doctors about. Uh, Then it goes on, thanks for telling us. We won't tell anyone else, Quinn says. Then Quinn explains that they don't identify as a boy or a girl, so they know what it's like to get questions about gender expectations. I talk with my doctor about being non-binary, too. It's nice to have somebody who can help my parents and me figure out what's going to work best for my body. Okay, so in this, I have to keep repeating, book by the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, if you think you can still trust doctors in the medical profession, you can't, period. You especially can't trust them with your kid. And that's just, I wish that was not the case Um, because because I understand the implications of saying that you just cannot trust the medical profession anymore. At all, but you can't, because this is what you're getting from them. Um, and already in this, we, we've got a story about the, a sleepover with with little girls. And in this sleepover, they're telling us about um, it, one of the girls is trans and one is non-binary. So you got a, a small collection of of girls, and two of them are at least two are um, in that category, which which actually accurately reflects the situation that our daughters are in and that they face socially. That's how prevalent this stuff is. In fact, if you send your daughter to a sleepover with five other girls, there's a statistically almost, it's almost certain statistically that one of them is going to identify, at least one will identify as trans or non-binary or whatever else. 
Um, and then um, continues. We have this fun fact. Um, doctors can put puberty on pause. That's true. Doctors can prescribe medicine to stop puberty temporarily. But they do that only for important reasons. Early puberty can cause emotional and physical problems for very young children. It can be difficult for very young kids to manage puberty, and early puberty can stunt their growth. For those reasons, doctors may use medication to pause puberty. Then when a child is older, they can stop the medicine and puberty will begin again. At that point, puberty will progress normally like it does for others. Some people refer to these medications as puberty blockers, but really, they don't block puberty forever. They just put puberty on pause. And then it says, just not feeling right. Sometimes puberty can start right on time, but the changes happening on the outside of the body don't truly feel right. Sure, lots of kids might feel a little weird or uncomfortable about their changing body, but for some kids, it's not just strange or new. For some, the changes on the outside of the body don't fit with the way they feel on the inside. Or for some, the outside changes feel completely wrong. Um, and so they mention precocious puberty as a reason for puberty blockers, but then they get to, well, yes, but there are plenty of cases where it's not precocious puberty. Everything is, is, is physically normal with, with puberty, but it just doesn't feel right. And so that's when they put you on the drugs that they claim in this book, just pause puberty and then they pick it up right back up again. And there's no problems. There's no long-term, um, uh, health complications or anything which is a total lie. And of course, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they know that that's not true. But this is what they're telling, not just to parents about their kids, but they're telling this to kids. That you might want to use puberty blockers if it just doesn't feel right. Well, that's that's um, that's quite a thing to say to kids because every kid going through puberty will at least have a season where it doesn't quite feel right. That's going to happen to every kid. In fact, every person, you know, given the fact that we're mortal beings and we don't, we, we do not have con- absolute control over our bodies. And in fact, we have no control over the natural processes that our bodies undergo and growing and changing and all that kind of stuff. We, we, have, we have little to no control over most of that. And so everybody has times where you feel like you're, you're almost at war with your own body, you know? And um, when, you, when you go to kids and you tell them and you give them a, a, a way of understanding this and you tell them that, oh, well, if it doesn't feel right, you could just stop it. That's always an option. And there are no side effects. There are no complications. It's no problem. Just take the pills and stop it. Well, when you tell it to kids, you're going to find a whole lot of kids all of a sudden lining up for puberty blockers. And that's exactly what's happening because of books like this. So all the more reason um, to go to johnnythewalrus.com or go to amazon.com, get my book, at least over this, this uh, filth. Okay, let's go here next. Uh, this is a story. We're going to play this. This is a news clip from WSB in Atlanta. Um, there's a controversy, a, a, a protest at this high school in Atlanta um, after, a, after a, 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 ma- a male, a boy, physically assaulted a girl. And now there are protests. But who do you think the protests are on behalf of? Who, whose side do you think the protesters are taking in this? I don't think you'll be shocked to discover, but let's watch a little bit of this uh, news report. 
New video at five shows a male student slapping a female student after she called him the N-word. This led to a walkout at Locust Grove High School. And Channel 2's Audrey Washington is live in Henry County. Audrey, students are upset about the different punishments given to these students. Right, and it's important to note that they believe both students were wrong, but they don't believe both students were punished equally. So they walked out of class here and protested right there inside Locust Grove High. They chanted Black Lives Matter as they walked out of classes here at Locust Grove High. It just bothered me because I didn't stand up before and I thought this is the perfect time for me to stand up now. High school senior Layla Moreau helped organize the protest this week. She says it was in response to what happened in this video and what happened afterwards. A student shared the video with me on Friday. We blurred the faces of the kids involved, but in the video, you see a white female student call another black male student the N-word. <laughs> Next, you see the boy walk up to the girl and slap her. Both students were disciplined, but those who protested told me they believe while both students were wrong, they were not punished equally. She got to go to class and get her education while he had to leave for his education. He was only defending himself. Right, I reached pause out it there to for a second. Let's pause it right there. Uh, this is, look at a lot of the reactions on social media and, of course, the race hustlers, the prominent Race hustlers have gotten involved in this. Um, I don't know if Al Sharpton has showed up yet, but I'm sure he will. Who's the other guy? The new Al Sharpton. Ben Crump is, um, he's always, par he, he parachutes down as soon as something like this. He, he's on the scene. So he's probably already there as far as I know. And this is, um, this is the narrative that you're, that you're hearing that, in fact, the boy was acting in self-defense. We just heard that from the student there who organized this protest. And these were, this is a mass protest. People marching through the halls shouting, Black Lives Matter. And the narrative is that he was just defending himself. Defending himself. Now you can see in the video, you've got the, the, a, a girl sitting off to the side in the gym, far away from the boy. She shouts, apparently, a racial slur. That's bad. You should, it's a bad word, and you should not use that bad word. Um, in fact, uh, kids in school shouldn't be using any bad words. Very often they do, I'm told, but they shouldn't. And so we should be very clear to, to the kids, we don't use bad words. That's a bad word. You don't, you don't use it. And I'm also fine with punishing kids who use bad words. I think we ought to do that. But she's off to the side, sitting down. She's also a girl. And she shouts this word. He walks over to her and smacks her in the face. Assaults her, physically assaults her. There's a boy physically assaulting a girl. He was defending himself? Was, was his physical safety in jeopardy in any way whatsoever from the, from the girl who said something to him? And he had to walk across the gym to confront her over it? Defending himself? Well, no, of course, his, his physical safety was not in jeopardy whatsoever. I mean, if, if she had gone over and used that word or not used it and then, and, and then physically attacked him, and he hit her back as, as, a, as a means of getting her off, of, you know, defending himself, getting her off of him. It'd be a different story. That's not what happened. So, no, this is not physical self-defense. This is um, but what, what we know, what we've seen from the left, is that depending on your demographics, 
This is all this is all demographic dependent. But if you fall into the right victim group, and if you, if all the intersectional points work out in your favor, then you know you can use physical violence to defend your psychological well-being. So she didn't physically attack him, but she she used a word that might emotionally or psychologically hurt him. Even though I can guarantee he he hears that word from his friends all the time. And there's a very high likelihood that he uses it himself. But he heard the word from someone with a lighter skin color. And so that is psychologically damaging to him. And so he can use physical violence to defend his psychological well-being. That's, that's the logic here. And if there's something else, and, and this should already be entirely clear to you, but if it wasn't, this should make it even more clear, um, that if you're a woman on the left, um, you have been, your, your victim points, you know, on the victim hierarchy, you've been, you're all the way down the ladder. It didn't used to be that way. There was a time when you were a little bit higher up toward, towards the, the pinnacle as a chief victim, and uh, especially around then we got to the Me Too movement, and so that was trendy for a while. And uh, so, you know, all you, just, just being a woman afforded you a whole bunch of victim points and put you above almost everybody else on the victim pyramid. But now you're all the way at the bottom. I mean, you're not quite at the level of being a white male, but you're, you're just barely above that. And what that means is that you could be physically assaulted. And uh, everybody will take the other person's side. Let's keep watching a little bit of this report here. Reached out to Henry County Schools about the incident and the disciplinary allegations. A school district representative said in part, quote, we can't share disciplinary action for students due to student privacy. Both students were disciplined based on their code of conduct infractions. The representative went on to state school leaders have been working with and listening to any students who needed to express their feelings or concerns on the matter. The school day is progressing with administrators continuing to be available for any student who needs to talk. Layla says she's been called a racial slur at the school before and wants the school district to do more. I just want some change. I want them to, I'm just tired of the inequality in the school. Now, we still don't know what exactly led up to the initial incident. As for what happens next, students here told me they will be setting up a special black student organization here at the school. That's a part of the story I'm working on for Channel 2 Action News at 6. Right now, we are live here in Locust Grove, Henry County. Audrey Washington, okay. Channel 2 Action News. Uh, setting up a group. And, and when we set up the group, of course, the, the number one priority, the number one uh, uh, principle is that if you're a black person, you're allowed to commit physical violence if you don't like a word. Um, and that is that is quite literally the position the left takes on this. That if you are a black person, you can commit physical violence in response to a naughty word that uh, hurt your feelings. And But that principle does not extend to other demographic groups. It, it goes without saying that if you're a white person and a black person uses a word to you, even a, a racist word that you don't like, you, of course, cannot hit them for that. That's crazy. You can't hit somebody because they said a word. No, that is a, that's a privilege that extends only to racial minorities, not to white people. 
And that is their actual position that they take. The students say that, oh, it's, a, it's unfair because there was unequal punishment. Yeah, well, sane, common sense adults know or should know that, yeah, well, you have an unequal punishment because these were unequal infractions. One is a naughty word. The other is physical violence. But when you filter it through identity politics, all, all of that becomes uh, twisted upside down and backwards and everything else. Okay, this is from CNBC. It says, throughout the pandemic, many adults turned to a likely safety net, their parents. From buying food to paying for their cell phone plans or covering health and auto insurance, half of parents with a child over 18 provide them with at least some financial support, according to a report by savings.com. These parents are shelling out roughly $1,000 a month on average on such expenses, the report found. Uh, young adults just starting out have faced significant financial hurdles over the last few years, including an uneven job market, the hefty student loan bills from schools, and soaring housing costs. Uh, and so now the, the news is that half of parents with adult children are providing them with financial support. Now, the thing about that is, you know, on one hand, this is, this is how it should work. Like, I would much rather hear that parents are providing financial assistance to their kids then their kids are getting financial assistance from the government. You know, you should be, it's going to family members to help you out when you're in a tight spot. That's how that's supposed to work. That's what families are supposed to do for each other. And it's good to have that, have that kind of, have that sort of, that's the safety net that should be in place. That's the way it ought to work. Um, rather than having government provide a safety net for 330 million people um, that costs billions or trillions, rather, trillions of dollars to maintain, the safety net should be in your own family. So that, that is how that's supposed to work. And, you know, I don't have adult kids yet, but when I'm, you know, when my kids are adults, uh, if they fall on financial hard times, it's hard for me to see me not giving them some help, not, not, not helping them out. Just as I would do and have done for other members of, uh, of the family, you know, who are adults. Um, the problem, though, is when the adult children, and now we start putting emphasis on children, begin to depend on that, become dependent and feel entitled to it. And then this kind of uh, intersects with what we talked about last week, where we've got among millennials and Gen Z, uh, there's a, you know, a large number of them that if they're feeling unhappy in a job, they're just not having fun, they're not feeling, feeling fulfilled, well, they'll just they'll quit the job because they're not having fun. And that raised the question last week that we talked about, which is, well, how could you possibly afford, how could you afford to just quit your job because you're not having fun doing it? Well, this is part of the story, is that then they go to their parents, who um, oftentimes, unfortunately, are more than willing to, to fund that kind of lifestyle. So this is, if, if people could just exercise a little bit of responsibility and common sense, then that would solve a lot of these problems. Like, in, in principle, there's obviously nothing wrong with a parent helping out their kid when, they're in, when, they, when they've hit hard times, obviously. Um, it's just that there's no moderation or common sense anymore. And so that turns into, okay, I'm going to fund my adult child's lazy lifestyle for the next 10 years while they just sit around and don't even attempt to go and get a job or anything else. Uh, that's when it crosses the line. This is from the Daily Wire. This is a story from a couple days ago that I wanted to, I just wanted to touch on. Representative Madison Cawthorn responded Friday to a report that showed him wearing lingerie 
by explaining the alleged context surrounding the photos. So these were photos that went viral on Twitter last week. It's Madison Cawthorn, who of course he's a Republican representative, and and uh, he's one of the le- one one that the the left among in the group that the left hates the most, um, especially when it comes to the younger Republican representatives in Congress. And these photos went viral of Madison Cawthorn, who appears to be a few years ago, wearing lingerie, and he's got, he's got other he's got girls with him, and they're taking a selfie. And there's no other context. This is the context, though, according to Cawthorn. Politico reported, the revelation of the two photos is the latest in a series of unflattering headlines for the freshman member of Congress in the run-up to the primary in his first re-election bid. Cawthorn has seven Republican opponents who see him as vulnerable. The photos were provided to Politico by a person formerly close to Cawthorn and his campaign and were confirmed by a second source who also was uh, formerly close to the first-term congressman. Cawthorn responded to the report by claiming that the photos were taken during a vacation cruise. He said, quote, I guess the left thinks goofy vacation photos during a game on a cruise taken way before I ran for Congress is going to hurt me somehow. They're running out of things to throw at me. And so that's his defense, is that they were just probably drinking and they were goofing off and that's, it was supposed to be a joke. What you can see here is, number one, once again, the left completely abandoning, at least temporarily, its views on uh, the gender binary and everything else. Like, according to them, there's actually nothing strange at all about a man wearing lingerie. And certainly to shame somebody for that, to shame them, is, it, that's unspeakable. That's what they say until they have this as ammunition that they can shoot at, a, at a Madison Cawthorn, and then, and then all of a sudden it's okay. And the other point, too, is that if there could be a correct context for men to wear women's clothing, which there isn't, but if there was, like, it's this. It's a joke. It's supposed to be a joke. It's silly. It's ridiculous. I wouldn't recommend it even as a joke. But that's actually, it's, it's, you, you find pictures of a man wearing, wearing women's clothing and it's a joke. It's like, uh, this is what they used to do in Hollywood. It used to be a punchline when a man wears women's clothing. Mrs. Doubtfire, which somehow that movie has yet to be canceled by the left. Eventually they'll get around to it. Because Mrs. Doubtfire, it's a comedy and all of the humor is found in the fact that Robin Williams is dressing up like a woman and haha, isn't that so silly and ridiculous? So that's one thing. Like, yes, it's silly and ridiculous, and we can laugh about that. The problem on the left is that they want to take that, and now we're supposed to take it seriously as a lifestyle choice. Until Republican congressmen are involved, and then, of course, the the rules change completely. Let's get now to the comment section. Do you know their name? They're the sweet baby gang. Um, four door, four fifty five. This kind of works with what we were just talking about. Says I worked with a cross dressing man, and all I can say is that if a woman employee dressed the way he did, she would have been accused of violating the dress code. But if you're trans, then I guess you become immune from a trip to the HR office. Yet another way that the rules kind of uh, are adjusted depending on your identity and your demographic. Mr. Mediocre Gamer says, Desmond absolutely sounds like a child. I don't mean just in his voice. I mean immaturity as well. The poor kid is not in control of who he's presented as. This child is going to need a lot of therapy later in life, and mom and dad won't be around to pay for it. Um, 
Well, I, here's the thing. I can guarantee you that this kid has, has gotten a lot of therapy already, and that's part of the problem. He's gotten a lot of therapy, a lot of counseling, but he's going to the gender-affirming therapies, therapists and counselors, and they are just encouraging more of this. So just like we talked about how it's you, you can't trust the medical profession anymore, that includes especially, in fact, uh, therapists and counselors. I mean, you can't, you can't trust them with your kids at all, which is quite a problem because there are kids who could actually use um, that kind of help. But these days, you just, you know, you send your kid to a counselor and um, a week later, they're telling you that uh, they were born in the wrong body because this is the kind of thing they're going to hear. But yeah, that is one thing that, that jumps out at you when you hear Desmond is that he, he sounds, well, he, he sounds not just like a child, but also in a lot of these videos, he sounds drugged as well. He sounds like a drugged child because that's what he is. Um. Mitso says, as far as the stooping to their level comment, I agree with Matt 100%. The organized battle lines of classic warfare cannot hold up against the more modern guerrilla tactics. So using them strictly on principle will only lead to very principled defeat. It's important to still have moral lines that you don't cross, but you can change tactics and still maintain those boundaries. Uh, I think that's exactly right. That's this conservative attitude establishment, whatever you want to call the old right, whatever label you want to put on it. Um, I think if you were to summarize their position, you couldn't do a better job than that. Principled defeat. That's what they stand for, is that we're going to lose and we're going to keep losing, but we're going to, we're going to do it in a principled way. And as we've talked about, that's for, for them, it's, it's, a, it's a lot easier, actually. It's a lot easier. It is, in fact, easier to lose. Because when you're winning and you're taking and, you, and you're, you're 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 doing big things and you're taking risks and you're doing bold things, well now there's a lot of pressure. I mean, look at Elon Musk taking over Twitter. Even as the richest man in the world, uh, he's not just putting a lot of money on the line. He's putting he's putting a lot more than that on the line. And it's not just like okay, we're, he's going to take over Twitter and then right off into the sunset and and uh, happily ever after. Now you actually have control of Twitter. And you have to figure out all the problems and fix them. It would have been a lot easier to just do nothing and let Twitter remain in the hands of the people that already controlled it. And that's kind of the attitude of, of the establishment right, the old right, is uh, let's just do nothing at all. Let, let things continue. We kind of We have our lane here, and it's easy and it's comfortable, and we'll just stick with that. That's their attitude. You know, people ask me all the time, how do I get a job at the Daily Wire? And uh, I always tell them, well, don't, don't start by talking to me. That's the, the first step. You're already, you're already on the wrong foot. Um, but here's, I can, for, for once, actually tell you about a, a new job at the Daily Wire. For all you graphic design folks out there who have been waiting for your chance to work on staff at the Daily Wire, here it is. We're currently looking for a superb and creative junior graphic designer to join our post-production team in Nashville, Tennessee. In this position, you'll be responsible for creating visual concepts to communicate ideas that inspire, inform, and captivate our audience and consumers. Ideal candidates for this opportunity have one-plus years of pre pre previous professional design experience in Photoshop or Illustrator excellent creative instincts, and a strong team player attitude. To apply for this junior graphic design opportunity and to view a full list of current openings at Daily Wire, please visit dailywire.com slash careers. That's where you want to go. And, you know, I've already told you about this, but I'll tell you again, if you've been living under a rock, you might be unaware that I've written a children's book 
If you weren't listening to the first part of the show also, you wouldn't be aware of that. And it's changing the world as we know it. It sold out in less than 24 hours and at one point was crowned the number one best-selling LGBTQ plus book on Amazon. The book is called Johnny the Walrus. And uh, it has already served as an inspiration for LGBTQ plus people. And that will be the case for centuries to come, I believe. As mentioned, the book sold out right away due to its immense popularity. But I have great news. The book is back. It's in stock right now. And that's why, again, you can get the book and they'll actually mail it to you. You'll get it like the next day or a day later. You don't have to wait six months this time. So if you want to get the book, go to johnnythewalrus.com and order your copy right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. As we know and have discussed at great length, uh, lots of children's entertainment these days is packaged up with veiled and often not so veiled leftist indoctrination. But every once in a while, a new piece of children's content is released that appears to have no sinister underlying agenda. It's just innocent, benign fun. Um, Now, I haven't seen it, but as far as I know and have been told, the newly released animated film, The Bad Guys, falls into that category. I haven't heard of any wokeness infiltrating it. Don't quote me on that, though. Like I said, I haven't seen it, but that's as far as I know. Assuming that it's just a good bit of apolitical family fun. It's all the more unfortunate that our culture has decided to make it weird. Because even non-weird things in our society are made weird. The leftist virus infects everything. And that brings us to an article in Rolling Stone with a headline that um, I can't read out loud, but which refers to the reproductive organ of one of the cartoon characters in the film. And the article begins with this. With his broad shoulders, revolving wardrobe of crisp, well-fitted suits, and rakish, come-hither expressions, Mr. Wolf, the slick protagonist of the upcoming DreamWorks release, The Bad Guys, looks like a classic American male sex symbol in the grand tradition of Cary Grant, Harrison Ford, and Brad Pitt. Now, I need to pause here and say that, though I'm not an expert on American male sex symbols, despite arguably being one myself, don't laugh, please, I'd always thought that a prerequisite for becoming a male sex symbol is that you have to, first of all, be human, and second of all, exist. Rolling Stone is here to correct the record, though. They continue, the character is prompting hordes of thirsty comments on the internet. Quote, Mr. Wolf isn't attracted to you or anyone else. He's in love with me, reads one representative tweet. Another is more to the point. When do I get to see Mr. Wolf from Bad Guy's penis in the movie? For those interested, there's, there's plenty of fan art on Twitter where you can see just that. Now, the article provides many examples of comments like this, but perhaps you've already heard more than enough to get the point. We're then offered this explanation. Quote, because Mr. Wolf is an actual wolf, albeit one voiced by reportedly human actor Sam Rockwell, most of the people posting about Mr. Wolf are furries, a term used to describe those who enjoy dressing up as or drawing anthropomorphized animals. Despite most popular conceptions about furries, not all people in fandom in the fandom harbor sexual attractions to anthropomorphized creatures, but many of those currently thirsting after Mr. Wolf certainly do. Now, anytime you hear about these furry creeps, you'll always be given the disclaimer that it's not always sexual. But of course, it is. I mean, the whole thing is a bizarre, disgusting sexual fetish, as is admitted in the same article. Later on, a furry LGBT author, as he's described, offers this insight. Most people in furry subcultures remember the shirtless dancing buff tigers used in Zootopia's marketing that most took to more or less mean, hey furries, we know your community has an eye for masculine forms, so to speak, and we undeniably do. Furry is a nexus for queer art and queer people, and it's one of the few places in particular 
where gay men and masculine queers get to have some decent representation in our media. And queer men and masculine people are kind of starving for that. Now, this missive goes on for a while longer and then ends on this note. Still, in the absence of official furry recognition from mainstream entertainment, members of the fandom will likely continue to simp after Mr. Wolf without recognition, posting one erect lupine phallus at a time. Now, you might hear all of that and think, well, these are just a bunch of demented fringe deviants. And you're right. At least you're right about the first and last adjectives there. But fringe is debatable, as this is Rolling Stone we're talking about. It's not like I pulled this from some old Tumblr post. As much as Rolling Stone might have the quality and content that resemble an old Tumblr post. In fact, there's a concerted effort, as the article suggests, to give furries more mainstream acceptance and representation. And it seems to be working. Just yesterday, Libs of TikTok published images of a class assignment given to second graders in Austin where they were told to make their own furry persona. This was all a part of culture month at the school, a month where the kids learn about different cultures, you know, like Japanese culture and um, Egyptian culture and bestiality culture. Because that's what this is, after all. People who sexually fantasize about animals, even fictional animals, are into bestiality. That's what that is. We've sped right past yet another stop on the slippery slope that the left told us would never come. They claimed, in fact, that we were uh, bigots for even suggesting that it would get to this point. Because for years, we said that our anything-goes attitude towards sexuality would lead to the normalization of bestiality, you know, bestiality. And here's Rolling Stone right on cue with a glowing profile of people who fantasize about a cartoon wolf's penis. Now, many things have led us to this point. But certainly one of the, one of the, the principal factors is the misdirection of shame. Now, I don't say that we've gotten rid of shame in our culture. Certainly not. It's not like the left is running around claiming that nobody should ever feel ashamed or that we shouldn't shame anybody. They love to shame people. It's their favorite pastime. Shame has not been eradicated, but as I say, it's been misdirected. Because now we shame normalcy. We shame common sense. We shame healthy behavior, healthy relationships, healthy attitudes. We shame people for committing the sin of not being degenerate freaks. The actual shame-worthy behavior is shielded from shame. And that's, that's the problem. Because in, in a healthy society, people who feel attracted to animals would be ashamed of that proclivity. They would never speak of it to anybody except perhaps a trusted counselor or a spiritual advisor. Uh, they would do whatever they could to rid themselves of their inner demons. They would feel hideously embarrassed, as they should. And that's the way it ought to be. Now, though, they, they put on costumes and they go to conventions and they announce themselves on social media. And then they go out and actually proselytize, encouraging others, especially children, to join them in their freakish lifestyle. This is supposed to be progress, but it's certainly not. That's why we need to bring back shame. Bring it back where it belongs. And then we bring back shame into our culture. If we get to that point, then we'd be in a position where we can all say to furries, rather than just me saying it, that you're all canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed.
Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our show, Morning Wire, where we bring you all the news that you need to know in 15 minutes or less. Join me and my co-host, Georgia Howe, for daily coverage of all the biggest stories on Morning Wire. 